Hi there, Andy and Ben here for Kitchen Secrets episode four. Welcome back to everybody. This week we are going to be talking about the money. So in this episode we're going to talk about the rates of pay throughout the industry, how it varied throughout our careers. Uh, also going to talk about the COVID, a bit about support, and a bit about the cost of food. Yeah, and just generally the sort of economic quandary that our business finds itself in post-COVID. And hopefully you uh, find it, hopefully you find it useful. So yeah, why, why did we get into chefing? It's definitely, not, it's definitely not about the money. It's never about the money. It's never about the money. I mean, when I got my first paycheck, I was impressed. Uh, but then obviously when you want to buy a house and rent a house, it's a lot different. But uh, So yeah, so what, 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 what were your first rates of pay? I think I briefly talked about mine before. It was a, I was okay when I was living at home. I was getting fairly, like, seven, eight pounds an hour, do you know what I mean, back then. Yeah. And then, but then I went to, when I went full-time, you start off for like 11, 12 grand a year. Uh, so it's very difficult to live on that, do you know what I mean? Particularly when, when as we've already, t- we talked about, like I, we were both living in, in London. Admittedly, you had your accommodation paid for. Yeah. My first job, uh, you know, it really was, my basic salary was taking home 300 pounds a week. Yeah, so it is, um, it's hard you know, to so see. I and mean, we won't baffle on too much about being underpaid. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I didn't really, I wasn't really thought I was getting a decent wage till I was probably about 25. And that's when I was becoming like a junior sous chef. That's when I noticed the pay rise. That's when I started to thought, okay, I can live a little bit now. I can go on holiday. I can buy a car. Do you know what I mean? Before then I was, initially I was on the breadline. Do you know what I mean? I was living on Dorito sandwiches and yeah. just things like that. It's, Eating out of the kitchen cupboards. Yeah, you just, <laughs> yeah, and stealing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stealing a bread roll at night, stealing, you know what I mean, that kind of thing. It was, it was as a... Uh, yeah, there was no such thing as wastage, was there? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that, that went straight into your belly. And then I guess when you, uh, when you get high up the rankings, the only way you're going to get a decent pay is by bonus, the bonus structure. And but even then, like, if you, if, if, like, I always... It's really tricky with our industry because if you look at it, if and I've often said to you, Andy, like if you had twenty years experience in any other field, and you were the sort of top manager of of any field, whether it be accountancy or uh, even plumbing, anything like that, you would expect to take home eighty grand a year. Yeah, you would. You would. Um, that's before your bonuses. Yeah. That's what that would be your basic salary. But it is. It's. But unfortunately, because of the way that our business works and the way it makes its money. Businesses can't afford to pay their head chef eighty grand a year because there's just not enough money in the business. And there is a cap. You don't even. Yeah. You know, it's not even like when I moved back to Plymouth, I went for I went for several jobs, and I knew what I was worth, and I was quite adamant to it. I, I want, I want a certain amount of money, or I'm not going to work here. And they were like, No, no, we pay our head chef ten grand less. Yeah. And you're not going to come in as a sous chef, and I said, Well, sorry, but I'm not going to take the job. I know I'm worth that amount of money. Yeah. And uh, but because no one else in Plymouth earned above 30 grand a year, there's no way that I was going to win. It's absolute nonsense. Even though you can help the company do better things for the company, yeah. because there's like a cap, isn't there? It's like a, it's a bit like rugby players. They're on a wage cap. Yeah. Chefs are on a wage cap. You, If we were looking to employ, I was the same. When I was looking to employ chef de parties and demi-chefs, I looked at what everyone else was paying, and you offer the same. Yeah. Or- you don't offer more, because you don't, because if you offered more, you wouldn't get your bonus, because you'd be overspent on labor costs and it is people don't realize that it's yeah. like a lot of my pay a lot and you you definitely know this because you did you did everyone's work yeah. so that you got your bonuses yeah i used to fight for every penny do you know what i mean but 
a lot of uh, a lot of chefs' wages are detected by how much money they can save. The owner. Well, the owner can save, and then also, as you've just said, if the head chef, who's the guy who normally makes the employment decisions on the lower chefs, if he's on an employment bonus, he'll try and strip that down because it makes his life a little bit easier. Yeah. Like it's it's you know I think it all drives round to you know money makes the world go round, and unfortunately, again, unlike other businesses. Unless you are a Michelin star, you know, world-renowned restaurant, you know, no, no offence to beef eater in places like, and harvester in places like this, but you're not going to go and spend £150 on a steak at harvester. No. Like, you know, and it, so there's only so much money that is going to go into these businesses. And if you've got rents to pay, as we now know as business owners, if you've got rates to pay... And you've got to pay for the ingredient, the cost of the ingredients going up and all the rest of it. There's only so much you can pay the guy who's going to peel your carrot. Exactly. Like, it's, a, it's, a really, it's a really interesting and it's sort of uh, predicament that nowadays chefing finds itself in. Yeah, one, as, of, as an I mean, one thing I've always said is the better the food, the worse the money. Yeah. The worse the food, the, best, the, mo- the better the money. And yeah. I've said that to numerous people and you probably listen to this podcast is it's a shame but the worse of the food they always say if you want to make some money in our industry buy a fish and chip shop or a kebab shop take a McDonald's franchise because it is it's fast food the bums on you're in you're out that's gone you know you've got to think if you, you're in a restaurant and you're sat there for three hours your bill is £100 per person what's McDonald's going to do in three hours yeah you know he's absolutely nuts so yeah it's a shame really but that's why it is if you if you it doesn't matter how how high up you are, you would have thought in most industries if you're at the top of your game you get more money, but in our industry if you're at the top of your game, the chances are you're getting less money. That has changed slightly with COVID, with people leaving the industry, uh, as everyone's probably seen on the news and local news, national news, uh, because everyone was dropping out of the industry, it's making chefs more scarce, I guess. Yeah, so the wages have snuck up a bit. a bit. Those those head chef salaries that you and I would have looked at five years ago that hadn't changed for ten years have now gone up by five or six k. But that's because like, they can't get anybody. because they can't get anybody else. Just like their just like their owners and the brand event, these franchise people have never they've had their hands forced in a way, haven't they? Yeah, they have. But then you know, again, it's it's really tricky because. Our lifestyles, because then it balances out between the lifestyles. And one of the reasons why a lot of chefs have left the industry is not necessarily because they didn't like chefing anymore, but they realised that they actually could make the same money or better money working less hours. Which we, yeah, we like, talked about. Like, yeah. you know, and, and so why would you... like You don't volunteer to work 100 hours for your 20k if you can make the same money in 30 hours. Because yeah. like, you, know, you want to go and spend time with your kids. And that's... Another reason why we ended up at starting our business was because, you know, we slogged our guts. At, look, you and I were pretty well paid down here in the West Country as chefs, as head chefs. But, okay, it was good and we had the money, but the other halves get to spend it and you don't get to spend any time with your, with, with your family. Exactly, you get your four weeks holiday a year if you're lucky. If you're lucky, I never took you, you it. Ne- you never got that. You never even got your holidays. You you were a sucker for that. And I used to tell you like, why are you not taking your holidays? And I still do it to this day. Yeah, I, 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 indeed. But with that, that's my mindset, and it always has been. But the other thing was was that as the most expensive person in the building, and you know, because we were getting the better wages, 
I always thought that it was my responsibility to make sure that that business was functioning. And it wasn't until afterwards that you looked at it and you realised that, as I think we both have felt in our last jobs, you, you were just that number. You were just yeah. the facilitator that allowed a business to function. And the moment that you stepped away, you were just replaced. It's amazing, like, isn't it? Yeah. You know, and... I'd, I suppose that's in most in most careers you are like that. You you put all your love and your energy into it. Yeah. And uh, but yeah, you are just a you are just a pay packet. Yeah. You are just a yeah. You are just a key in the cog, and it is it's hurtful when you have to leave. But like to, to sum up our industry, I my my appendix popped on it in a job once, and I was told quite happily this was the only time I took holiday from that job because they turned around to me and said, you either take a pay, you either basically take a pay cut, or you take holiday. Yeah. Over, the, over the fact that I was having my appendix fixed. Yeah, and you just, yeah. uh, like, no other industry, I think, treats itself. Like, mm. I look at my other half who works for the NHS, and no other industry treats itself like that. Because there's no one to go to, there's no union. We've always joked yeah. about setting up a chef's union. Uh, but there is, I mean, I, have had, I had to fight for a chef to get his, uh, a good friend of mine, to get maternity pay. Yeah. Because they were going to make him take holiday pay. Yeah. Not maternity pay. And I'm like, no, that's against the law. No, it's not. We haven't got. You can. We can give him. It says no, no. And we had to literally pull out papers and papers and papers to this to this restaurant owner and say like, no, you you have to pay him his two weeks holiday. Yeah. And it was only the basic. He wouldn't go above and beyond. Yeah, yeah it was it's just it's standard. standard but he, yeah. he said he's not going to give him pay in anything. So it's absolutely crazy. And yeah, that's just that's just our industry. And but at the same time, the same people will ring you up on your only day off and say coming to work coming to work because we haven't got anyone to turn up to work yeah. like, and you know you There'll go no in no benefit no board no yeah. extra time no nothing especially if you're on that salary yeah, oh. and it's, yeah it's... God, we're really painting a good picture of our industry <laughs> <laughs> you know, we are but like... we do love it but yes why we've, yeah. got, we've always said that's why we're doing this podcast we want to give everyone an honest opinion of a uh, so we don't want to be the office cardinal. Well, I think I do a little bit yeah, yeah you do uh, I want to do <laughs> so we, we do want to sell that chef's union and I've always I've always spent more I've always been surrounded by chefs that stick up for their chefs. Even when I was in London, my, the executive chef and the executive shoes, sous chef especially, he'd often put his own job on the line for sticking up for his chefs. Yeah. And making sure they did get the pay rise. And when we was in Ireland, and my executive chef, they made literally all the senior management in the hotel. They made them take a pay cut or made them redundant. But what my executive chef did then, he, he was very clever. I think he was. And then he uh, he made us all take a promotion, but not take a pay rate increase. So we we like that kind of kid of the system. Yeah, yeah. That always sticks with me. But he, don't get me wrong, he used to be evil to us and he used to pick on us and bully us in a way. But he did used to stick up for us in certain yeah, ways. Yeah, well, you well. were his boy. Like the other thing about your sort of experience was that was a big company. Like you know, when you're looking at individually privately owned enterprises, whether it be small restaurants mm. or a small hotel. They don't necessarily have those. And we've talked about this before. Yep. They just don't have those systems in place, um, you know. And uh, yeah, I, 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 I sort of forged my career in those independents exactly, rather than yeah. rather than in those bigger places. So should we talk about? Should we talk about people asked us about how we set up for elements and the economics of that really, and how do you do? I mean, I must admit, a couple of local restaurateurs in Plymouth. I went to a chef's forum years ago. And when they won, when they wanted to buy their first restaurant in Plymouth, uh, they actually sold everything. They sold their house, they sold their cars, yeah. they sold their, I think it was Xboxes at the time, and they sold literally everything. And they moved down from Norfolk to Plymouth to open a restaurant. 
uh, and they invested everything into it and that's how a lot of people start in our industry it's not the only way in it's definitely not what me and Ben did when no. we started for Elements I think we well, like we had quite a lot of different sort of commitments anyway because we were both full time head chefs anyway but we we didn't want to take that financial burden did we no like, so what we did was we did it on the cheap in yeah. all intents and purposes we did it on the cheap and lots of people are doing that now you see people on little Facebook businesses and stuff like yeah. that whether they'd be doing little brownies or whatever but we Annie and I were working together sort of part time over a summer and we got talking and we wanted to get away from being an employee and just to get out on our own and be a little bit more sort of self-determining. And teach yourself new skills. Yeah, exactly. You know, running businesses, advertising, those sorts of things. It was shit scary. It was a shit yeah. scary thought. But because we did do a massive commitment, we didn't go to the banks, we didn't have business no, plans. We didn't, we didn't know anybody anything. Yeah, and yeah. all we did was we bought our trailer. Yeah. Um, literally on a whim off a Facebook advert. Yeah, we was always talking about it. We kept pinging messages back and forth to each other. And we, yeah, we bought we bought a horse box. They were quite popular at the time. Yeah. People are buying ice cream vans. People are buying the Citroen vans. Yeah. People are buying all different things, but... They break down. Yeah. We didn't have to <laughs> yeah. buy it. People could buy marquees. People yeah. could buy gazebos. Um, and that was our option. To be honest, our first first thing was we... uh probably forgot it. We used one of your gazebos and we took it up to Jenny Cliff in a nice viewpoint in Plymouth we and we did a little barbecue and we said to ourselves forget this for a lad this is too much hard work yeah. carrying a gazebo tablecloth we like, we're not doing that ever again and we have done it since but we knew that we weren't the market traders we did that, we did that purely for family didn't we, we, did that yeah, we, just, we just did it just to try out a few ideas as to whether or not we would what suited for what us what suited us and so we, we ended up finding our Richardson Rice horse box, which was still a horse box, it yep. still had horse shit in it. Yeah, and, uh, and, and, and everything. Yeah. And we, we bought it, and we bought it out of our own cash, and you know it cost us a couple of thousand pounds. Yeah, and we then called in favours. We were quite lucky that our our father in laws and fathers are sort of engineering and fabricating minded. Yeah, so they helped us a lot to sort of convert it into our kitchen. And we literally, whilst working full time, yeah. we still we converted our trailer. So we were using we were using our employers to fund our lifestyles. Yep. And then almost I made the wife feel overly happy on our days off, we'd be tinkling, painting, playing, painting. Yeah. And it took us a fair while. We didn't do it quickly. We didn't do it slowly, but we just probably took us about eight months from getting the trailer to yeah. actually having our first gig with it, didn't it. it. Yeah. So, well, it's like it's a bit like the what you call the Lord Sugar and the. Richard Branson kind of argument. Yeah. They just start off small and then grow and grow and grow, isn't it? It's like, a, what's that effect called when people say it's like... Uh, what were you, snowball? Snowball effect. Yeah. yeah. So you just start doing it. So we made our well, first gig, we made a bit of money, then we invested that back in, isn't it? So. Well, we were, but as, as we put it out, our key, the reason why we got to where we got to now was that we, for the majority of the time, up until COVID, we were both working full-time whilst yeah. running the business. So that meant that neither of us had to take money from the company. Yeah. So, and I, like that, and in all honesty, that saved us at COVID as well. It was, yeah. Like, if we're honest. It was a good way. I think I, with hindsight, would we change that going back? I don't think we would. No. Not. I don't think I would. And if I talk to people doing these same situations, now we get people coming up, ask us about it. They buy a horse box and ask us what to do with it. And uh, first thing we say is don't stop working yeah. because there's not, there's not that much money in it. People think, You've got a horse box, you take it to Glastonbury, you've got a queue of people, you're going to make thousands. And reality is not that. 
that and, and and the margins are, as we've already talked about the margins are tight yeah. like you know so it's if we had the our venture had to pay for our two families to have a good life before we could start taking money exactly and we've just you know and that was the most important thing and it did personally cost us a few quid here and there yeah but actually now i would like to think we're we're doing pretty well out of it to be honest yeah. you know like but we were bloody sensible yeah it's it, just about you know. thinking about it we both got sensible heads on us we've got strong families around us that can support yeah. us and advise us so yeah uh covid just talk, oh. let's briefly talk about covid we want to be doom and gloom about covid yeah. but obviously it affected us quite a lot i uh was looking to leave just because we all our candidate was full uh, luckily I didn't leave my full time employment, so I was kind of, I was kind of lucky there. Yeah, I, 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 I got we got, COVID was a really tricky time for us as a company and for our for my side of it personally because I had just quit my full time job about three months previously to do our first commercial contract in all intents and purposes, so we didn't get any financial support from government either as a company. And from my point of view, I didn't get any furlough. So that first lockdown for us was, yeah, it was a bit tight, but we got through. Um, and then, you know, we took out our unit and we used our time wisely. Um, and we, we, you know, we didn't waste time. We did, we did really well out of it, actually, and sort of got ourselves a home base. Um, and then slowly but surely... Life opened up again, didn't yeah, it, really? Yeah, we, we still got a bit of fun at the council, and we tried a bit of Deliveroo. Yeah. And we probably should dig into Deliveroo later on in a future episode, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, that was quite an interesting time for our business, going on Deliveroo. And, uh, but we'll talk about that at, I think it's, in a uh, different episode. Yeah, really. I think we weren't quite ready for it. Uh, no. like, I think there's definitely a lot of positives to have from places, things like Deliveroo and Justy. Yeah. I just don't think we were quite the business to do it at that point. Exactly. Um, yeah. But there's a lot to, that we learned a lot of lessons. Um, and my God, did we learn how to, you know, tighten the purse strings, look after and manage money exactly, whilst yeah. going through. And it really showed that the way that we started our business and our mindset of not str- Ent- emptying the, the bank, bank account, which a lot of restaurants do, like was really, that allowed us to survive. Because if we'd been trying to be greedy and take money whilst right at the beginning, yeah, we would have ended up in a load of crap, I think, and we wouldn't be here now. Yeah, because I think a lot, especially right. where we are in the southwest, and a lot of the holiday destinations, yeah. they it's very seasonal. So you fill you fill your pockets in the summer, summer, yeah. and then you empty them in the winter, and that's yeah, that's a it's a hard way to live, isn't it? I guess yeah. being like that, and we've all worked in places like them, and I guess that's one thing we've always said we'd never want to get down to month in month out kind of thing, yeah. do we? So. That's probably one of our biggest learning. Yeah, we, and we didn't know. We didn't. We we didn't take any loans. We didn't owe anybody. Okay, so. No. Cool. So so that's a that's us that's us done for this week. I think about the money. Yeah. So I hope um, you enjoyed that episode. And if you're looking, uh, give us a give us a review. Let us know what you think. And uh, hopefully we can uh, see you again next week. Next week. Okay. Cheers, <laughs> see guys. See you later. Thanks for listening.